This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. Okay, well, welcome back to Thriving in the Word, and we are in Acts 8 through uh, 14, I believe, and we've but we've still been kind of bouncing all around, you know. So we have, uh, anyway, we have Dave with us, Lenny with us, Johnny, Ben, Mike, and myself. And so we're going to jump right in. So anything stand out to you guys as you've been reading this week? Went back to chapter 7. <laughs> we still can't break out of the 1 through 7. <laughs> you know why I had it on my mind is because of Johnny. You know, he had uh, left the meeting. We had closed up last week session with uh, Johnny and said, oh, I got so much about Steve and him. And I did, too. I had been reading it. So I went back, and I'm looking at chapter 7, and, and this is where Stephen begins to address the council. And, and, and remember, in chapter 16 and chapter 6, they had lying witnesses. He's tell, saying that Stephen's speaking against the holy temple, against the law of Moses. We heard him say, uh, you know, we've heard him say Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs handed down to us by Moses and all that. So now, after all of that, the high council stares at him, and here we go in chapter 7. I'm just going to kick it off with this and I'll let Johnny take over or anybody else. The high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? And so think of yourself in that position. What verse is that? Verse, verse, chapter okay. 7. Okay. Are these accusations true? Mm-hmm. Let's say that you are Stephen, either back then or today, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and you've been preaching the word. We've been out preaching the word, mm-hmm. as the martyrs do in other countries, and somebody comes up to you and says, you've been doing this, you're accused. Are these accusations true? What are you going to say? The accusations are false, according to the scriptures, because he was falsely accused here of this stuff, when instead what he's doing is he's operating out of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. This is a person, Stephen, who was full of and led by, or a faithful man is what he's accounted um to, it, that's what's counted to his credit in, in Acts, right? When he's appointed as one of the deacons to go and help the widows, right? So he's actually full of the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit's other name, right? So when you say, are these ac- accusations true? It's like, well, absolutely not. Even though maybe what you're getting at is, is he really a faith-filled person? Is he living and operating out of the Holy Spirit? Could he be found guilty of his faith? Could he be be made a martyr? <laughs> well, well, see, see the, the irony, though, and like I, I'll take this in a slightly different direction, right? The accusations weren't true. Correct, yeah. Because if you look, it says what the accusations were back in 6, uh, verse 11. It says, So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him to the high council. The lying witness said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And then, you know, they stare at him because his face turns bright white. The accusations weren't true. Like what they were accusing him of. Like, I mean, I don't think he was speaking against Moses. I mean, they're twisting what he was doing. But but the irony here is that, I mean, in essence, he's like, no, that's not true. Let me tell you what the accusation should be. And then he goes and he gives a whole dissertation of why they should actually kill him. And and the moment that gets him stoned to death, right, which which this was all planned, but this is like the catalyst for the whole event is Acts chapter 7, verse 51. I have it highlighted because it's so profound. It's so profound. There's two things that I want to point out about this verse. First, I'll read it and then I'll point out the things I want to talk about. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people and uncircumcised in, in your hearts and in your ears, you constantly resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so also do you. Right? So how powerful is that verse? So people will say things theologically like, well, the Holy Spirit didn't come until Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit, well, that's when the Holy Spirit came specifically to fall for those prophecies to be fulfilled. and. Right. And everything else for them to go and spread the gospel according to Jesus' plan, right? According to the plan of the Father. But what does it say right here? You stiff-necked people in an uncircumcised heart, you constantly resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Mm-hmm. So who are their fathers? Well, you go down to verse 52, and it's those who persecuted the prophets mm-hmm. and killed them. Just like that passage I quote all the time now where it says, Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and right. stones those that are sent to her from God. What One note, and yeah, let you continue, Johnny. You just read it there. 
and, and we gloss over it, and so did I, you know, when I first read this here, but, you know, upon further research, my book also says you uncircumcised. We might just, you know, read over that and say you uncircumcised. Well, uncircumcised meant that they were disassociated now with the chosen people. That's what he was telling them. Right. So we have to yeah. keep that in mind. Right. If you right. weren't circumcised, right. and Stephen is saying you uncircumcised people. Yeah, their blood is boiling. Yeah, their blood is boiling because... Well, well, what are you what are you saying? We we are not part of the chosen people. We are now dissociated from God because we're not circumcised. So he is basically um, cursing at them, if if you yeah. will, something like that. You know, sending it in to them. Yeah, Just they're they're accusing. It's funny because they're accusing him of blasphemy, which is punishable by death according yeah. to the law, right, right. of Moses, yes. right? right? Yeah, yeah. And right. yet, what he's telling them is that. Your outward appearance is that of the circumcised, right. but the inside of the cup, your like you heart, lost, you lost is, the foreskin, but inside yeah. you're you're just a sham. It's yeah, like, yeah. So, right. so what he's essentially saying is, is you're calling me a blasphemer, yeah. but God is telling you that you're the blasphemer. You're taking the Lord's name in vain, yeah. and you have the outward appearance, but the inward appearance is not that of God's chosen people. And it goes on in fifty three, right? Yeah. You who received the law by the direction of angels and have not observed it with an exclamation point. Yeah. So. Again, angels, right? We are like, oh, winged beings and cherubs, little fat babies or whatever, right? Angel, I say it all the time now, it just means messenger. And I wish in English Bibles they would just translate it to the word messenger. Because right. it even talks about in the burning bush when Stephen's giving his old dissertation on he's recounting from Abraham being a Chaldean foreigner, right, to being a, like a vagabond wanderer. And then obviously the whole lineage of, of the chosen people after that, right? But he says that when the angel was in the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, the angel, right? So who was in that burning bush if it's a messenger of God? Yeah, well, it raises questions, right? The pre-incarnate version of Jesus. Jesus, exactly. Jesus in his 100% God form. Bless you. So I just wanted to point that out because it's like how, I mean, I'm going to say this part one more time. You constantly resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Hold up the spiritual mirror and analyze your life compared to Christ or even the apostles in the book of Acts or even those of the Old Testament. Are we constantly resisting the Holy Spirit? Constantly? No, it's just it's just so good that you guys are talking about it. Like even like I have to read verse 52 again because even towards the end there, Johnny, you skipped over it a little bit. It says, "Name one prophet your your ancestors didn't persecute." You read that they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. Right? We gotta re we gotta realize that they just killed Jesus, right? So it's almost like the accusation should be made against them, not, not against, right? So he's just really trying to dig deep under their skin to, like, make sure that, like, you guys are so wrong. And he reminds them of their history is what you're saying there, Lenny. You recall for many of us here in this room, we read the Minor Prophets. Every one of them wasn't listened to. They, they, they went out, they were either persecuted or, you know, they were, you know, people turned a blind eye to them, the people of Israel, and, and were always sinning again. God would forgive them, they'd sin again. So that's what he's saying. But I want to point out something else. Again, this whole, this whole chapter 7 here where Stephen is talking, uh, you look up in verse 39, but our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. And so, and then, and then 40 says, they told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. Now listen to this, 41. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over things they had made. And then it tells about God turning away. Now let's go down to what Johnny read, 53. You deliberately disobeyed God's laws, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And, and we need to relate this to ourselves today. What Stephen is saying here is that things made by the hands of men are worthless, mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. It's only the things made from the hand of God. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that we talk about all the time. Are we storing things in heaven? Or are we storing things on earth, things mm -hmm. made by man? Yes. We have to think about that seriously. And I know we forget about it a lot. And I say we, I'm guessing we all do, because I know I do. That's very important. I can go into this in a lot of detail. I, I studied this, this chapter seven, especially Johnny got me going on it after he said that I last week. And, and, yeah. and, and, I, and I went into this and I go, okay, we're, we're talking about, and, and you will hear references as we go further on, and I'm not going to jump ahead, about things made by the hands of God versus the hands of men as, as Luke goes through Acts here. Yeah. Very important thing. So to springboard off that briefly before we move on is 
One thing that really stood out to me as well about this is not just the accusations that are false accusations laid against um, Stephen for blasphemy, but how the Holy Spirit prompts Stephen to actually show them, the accusers, their blasphemies and the lineage that they come from of blasphemers and idolaters and murderers and, right. and the well, whole lot of it. 54 says they're infuriated by his accusations. So he's just like turning the tables yeah. on them. So, so. So, so this is the point I want to bring out, right? This is what's really cool is... God uses the people that you least expect to do great things in his kingdom. And so here's Stephen, a totally submissive person to the will of the Holy Spirit and the apostles who's taking care of, food, you know, arguments over food for widows. And, and he's trying to be the, the arbiter of fairness in, in this capacity. But he's just a humble servant doing the, the low job. And God exalts him to a prosecutor. He, he basically exalts Stephen to that of a lawyer in a court case, a divine court case and makes him the prosecutor. How cool is that? It is. This dissertation by Stephen in chapter 7, given basically a synopsis of the history of, uh, of Israel, yeah. and, and pointing out that they have messed up time and time again and infuriating these people that he's talking to. One other interesting thing here, and I'm sure that all of you got this, is that when we get to the end, of course, Paul is standing there and condoning uh, the stoning of Stephen. You know, they lay the, you know, the, their, their cloaks and everything at, at Paul's feet, and, and he, he's agreeing with this. He's a persecutor of Christians. But really, here's where we get, I guess it takes the stoning, the killing, the murdering of Stephen, martyring of Stephen, to bring Paul onto the picture, talking about God... Uh, you know, using the most you know, inappropriate or people, unlikely people, unlikely yeah. people. Yeah. and now this becomes about Saul because now we we pick up on Saul who becomes Paul. But it, here's where he's introduced, and and the rest of this really becomes about him uh, all the way through. So, and I was thinking about that. I go, it took the death of Stephen, and and we get this introduction of Saul in a very ugly way, and then picture what he becomes. Now, we know the end of the story, but picture what he becomes. He's here. He, he, he's condoning this murdering of, of, a, of a young man, Stephen, and then think about what Paul, Saul becomes Paul, the probably the most prominent uh, preacher, minister, spreader of gospel. the gospel yeah. ever. Mm. It just, you talk about <laughs> taking people that you, know, you wouldn't imagine, right? Well, it's, it's the danger of leaning on your own understanding. It's, I, I quote it all the time. It's from Proverbs. It's chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Yeah. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge who? God in all your ways, and he'll make straight your path, right? So, yeah. so this is the key part. My understanding, compared to God's understanding, I'm driving here to this Bible podcast, this Bible study, right? And as I'm driving, I'm just taking in God's beautiful creation, the beautiful plants that are in full bloom right now, and I'm just I'm thinking... Thank you, God. You're so awesome. You're so powerful. And then the, it strikes me. God also is the one who created the element of fire. How different is fire? And I'm like, this is how powerful God is. He could do both. And right. I'm going to lean on my own understanding when he has that kind of creative ability and understanding. Mm. So that's what Stephen did here is he did not lean on his own understanding. And he emptied himself. And then he got full of the Holy Spirit. And it directed his steps versus these Pharisees, including Saul of Tarsus, yeah. who is agreeing with this. Is This is a just killing. Right, because they're using man's contemplation, man's understanding, man's intellect, which is nothing in comparison of God's. So how can you how can you adopt God's way of thinking and the Holy Spirit if you're full of your own ideas, which by comparison pale or are garbage? You, you know, Johnny, you said something. This may be a little bit off track. I'm not sure, but when Johnny said he's driving and he's thinking of all these beautiful creations, the greenery, everything that's in full bloom that God has made, but. Are we thinking, and I'm not saying you didn't, are we thinking that God made us too? Do we think about that and thank God while we're thanking him? Because I do that too. I think, oh, look, and I, and I do the same thing. I drive and I look at the greener and everything because I love the summer so much. And thank you, God. And do we thank him for us? Because he made us too. And, and I don't think we should lose sight of that. But when you don't lose sight of that, even in the midst of turmoil or persecution, right, you're able to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. 55 says, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And we know that that's prophetic right there. We've seen that in other scripture, in Revelation, in other places, in Matthew. 
Um, and he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. Like, so he's, he's just look with me almost. Right. But I, I can't help but to think like God is just like, focus your eyes on me because what does this say right after that? At 57, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. So it's, it's like, they refuse to even listen. I, I, I could picture all of that in my mind, and I could feel within like every bit of my body, like the anxiety of like people bull rushing a man who is literally saying, "Look, like mob, mob the control. innocence there, right? Yeah. Mob, yeah, right? Mob yeah. control." Yeah. And and it's just like they they didn't see it. They didn't and, and see it. And what happens is when you, you you we see it in our times today. You know, there, there's people that have been killed by a mob because one person who may be rational, two people who may be rational, mm. they get caught up in that, and, and I feel that that's what happened here. But just to continue, and I know we talked about this last week, but to take the, the last couple verses of, of chapter 7, after what you just read, Lenny, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, and talk about powerful words. He prayed, again, prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The first thing he did was he prayed while he's getting stoned. He fell to his knees, verse 60, shouting. We pointed this out last week. Shouting, it says. I, I don't know the word to interpret because I didn't look it up in the Greek, this particular verse. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Yeah. Think about that. That's how much his love Think was for that. his own persecutors, right? Yeah. yeah. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Uh, almost um, reminiscent of Jesus Christ, uh, you know. I would forgive dare say them identical for, to Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to. I didn't want to blaspheme, but yeah, <laughs> okay, uh, identical to Jesus Christ. Forgive yeah, yeah. them, uh, Heavenly Father, because they know not what they do. And, and He's saying that right here. And and I'm trying to picture my. I try to put myself in this scene. You know, whether I was mm -hmm. Paul or Saul mm -hmm. or one of the one of the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, or, or whether I was Stephen, and how would I have reacted? Would I have been begging for my life? Or could I have ever possibly been like him to say, Lord, receive my spirit and don't charge right. him with this sin? We, Think about yeah. that. We also went from seeing like Jesus on the scene saying, let he who not has uh, sinned in their life throw the first stone. And we have a mob running now towards a person to kill him. Right Before they were able to check themselves and be like, oh, we, we could be wrong. He's right? Like point, He's yeah. got a point. Now they're not even listening. Anyway, the, the, the next chapter, of course, then you start off with Paul. And I think we talked about this a little bit in uh, Philip preaching. I think, uh, I don't know if it was Jude or whoever brought up, you know, Paul the pre, uh, in, in chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news. They were scattered, but they're still preaching the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And they talk about Philip. And I mentioned going into Samaria. And we, we all know how... You know, the Sumerians were a mixed breed because of miscegenation and, and, uh, and the Jews, the pure Jews didn't like them. And I think you had a word for it. I don't know if they were muggles. What was the word, man? Oh, <laughs> mud, mud blood. Mud, mud blood. There oh, you go. Nice. Yeah. And, and we went in there. So they, they go on here. And, and, and then, uh, and then uh, a man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer. I don't know if we, did we talk about him before? What, what, there? Is he in? what chapter? Uh, chapter 8, verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. He was amazing people, and uh, he, he got converted. But, you know, at, at the end of that story there, Peter, you know, he's trying to buy the gift of the Spirit, you know, with, with money. And Peter says, "May your in, in verse 20, I'm at, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. And I, I thought that was pretty important, uh, this story here. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. And Peter tells him, repent of your wickedness. This is this guy, Simon, who was a, a magician. Uh, actually, the word comes from, we get the word magi from that. Uh, you know, the gift of magi, they were considered, you know, wise men. Ma magus, M-A-G-U-S, means wise man. Uh, and a magi is the plural of it. Uh, and uh, we also get another word from Simon. It's called, it, it's in our you know, I don't know if anybody ever used it, but it's called simony, and that means uh, simony is a, is actually a sin in the church. I think in the Catholic Church, it's uh, it's trafficking in sacred things. That, that's what simony is, and, he, and and it comes from this man Simon, who was a sorcerer, a magician, trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit as opposed to you know doing this the right way. Because Simon was like just some sort of shaman or some sort of. 
you know what he was definitely into the new age we could say yeah he was a, he was a sorcerer something we would call a sorcerer with maybe able to do magic which probably astounded a a people at that time it wouldn't probably take much because they didn't have a lot of science and technology mm -hmm. so you know whatever he could do and so he he uh, amazed people you know if you read about him i read some you know bio and with his with his he, it says here in 11 uh, he astounded them with his magic. Yeah, and people were so, even people were trying to even attribute him to being powerful from God, like yes. he was sent from God. Yeah. They called him the Great One. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting to point out here how disgusted Peter is. Simon Peter is just like, how dare you? That's like the context in which it's written. But I think this part is really important to point out as far as uh, theology. That's like the study of God, right? So Peter says to him, he says, you have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God, right? So ask yourself, is my, am I right with God? Is my heart right with God? Because apparently that's a real big deal, right? If you're reading the, the, the Bible. So then you ask, am I, how do I get right with God is the next question I'd ask myself, right? So it says it right here. Therefore, repent of your sins, your wickedness, right? And ask the Lord, right? If the intent of my heart, which is evil and wicked or sinful, can be forgiven. And then what does it say? I think it's in 1 John. If you're faithful to confess your wickedness, your sins before God, he is faithful and just to forgive them. Now, you could just gloss over what that means, but to be forgiven for your sins by God means he separates them as far as the east is from the west, it says. It says he rolls them up into a ball, throws them into the deepest depths of the ocean, and then it says he remembers them no more. He actually forgets them. So how beautiful is it that if you want to get right with God, all you have to do is look at your life, look at what the scriptures teach, or look at Jesus, and then realize, I need a Savior again. I need a Savior right now. Jesus, I called on your name before, but I'm calling on And repent that idea to turn towards God and ask for forgiveness, and he will, like the prodigal son, like the father from the prodigal son story, he'll receive you. You know, I, I, I want to play uh, devil's advocate here because this story has always bothered me um, as long as I can remember hearing the story. Um, and and for, a couple, for a couple of reasons. First off, uh, we're going to go to verse 9, right? It says, A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him for, because for a long time he had sounded him with his magic, is what Dave was already alluding to. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the great signs and miracles that Peter performed. Then when... The apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, let, let me skip it down. Verse 18. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, so that I may lay hands on people and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you, thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. Okay, so I'm going to stop here and, uh, and just lay out a, an, an alternate version of this story, right? Because, I mean, these other research stories, I mean, like there's a lot of, of um, legend surrounding Simon. You know, some people say that he's like, what, the father of the agnostics or something along those lines and whatnot. But, but here's the thing, like, like a lot of that's legend, right? What we see here, if we just take this excerpt of Scripture— how do we know that Peter was right? Like, Peter was not infallible. Peter could not read people's minds. P Peter was a human just like you and me, and how often do we screw up in life? I feel like Peter might have misread the situation, personally, because, I mean, Peter's not Jesus. I mean, some people would say, oh, that's sacrilegious. You're sac I'm like, no, I, Jesus was perfect. Peter was not perfect. And here, you got a guy who's a sorcerer. Now, he's amassed all this great following. He comes... Philip comes to town, preaches the gospel. Simon's like, amen, baptize me. I mean, number one, that takes a huge act of humility for somebody who's already claiming to be somebody great, the power of God. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to follow this guy too. Then he sees these guys laying hands on the sick, praying for people. I mean, he he, he, he's like a baby Christian for crying out loud. Like maybe he's been following Christ for like two days. And he's like, hey, man, I, I want to learn how to do that too. I'll give you money. I'll give you whatever it costs. I want to learn that too. 
So he's just and, 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 and so so Peter is saying that um, you're so obsessed with money when in fact Simon is just he's just naive. Maybe he's just offering all that he has. He's just like I don't know what to give. So I don't think the text I don't I don't think the text should be read that way. And the reason and the reason is this, right? Why? We'll, we'll, we'll finish your thoughts. Yeah. So so he's saying this. He's saying, hey, I want to I, I want to buy it. Peter loses it. He's like, ah, you know, maybe may you know whatever. And then and then right then, I mean, we see again his heart. Like most of us, if somebody came after us like that, we'd be like, ah, screw you. He doesn't do that. He's like, pray to the Lord for me then. I mean, like, I mean, Peter's coming after him aggressively and he backs right down. He's not like, oh, you know, oh, you're just so full. He's like, no, pray for me too. So this doesn't happen to me. He's like, I trust what you're saying. I want to, I want to do this. And I, I feel like I, and again, I may be wrong, but I don't think we have really any substantial evidence to go otherwise, other than the assumptions that we've been led to believe over history that he was had some ill intent. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want, he wanted to help people. Maybe he's like, you know, I've been living my life as a fake for all these years. And now I see somebody who's actually healing people. And I can't do that. All I'm doing, any sorcerer, any little tricks that he did, as Dave was alluding to, they were just, they were just conjuring. They were just like simple little magic tricks that, but he wasn't healing anybody. He wasn't actually helping anybody. And now he sees somebody that can help them. He sees Philip in there. Yeah. He sees Philip and he's like, dude, what, like you want, you want money? What do you want? Now he doesn't know the rules, right? He doesn't know the rules that, oh, you shouldn't buy this, right? This God isn't for sale. But, but like, you know, it's like I, I deal with people that are like new Christians all the time. And they're like, well, well, what can I do for this? And what about this? And how about this? And, and it's just like, I'm like, oh, that's not how we do things. Because they don't know the rules yet. I just, I'm just presenting the fact that maybe he just didn't know the rules. And he's saying, I don't know. What you have is valuable. I'll give you what I have that's valuable if you can teach me to do what you do. So that way I can make an influence here too so i don't know, i'm just well, going to throw well, it out there yeah. and because because there's as you said uh, or intimated there's a lot of conjecture here there's a there could be a lot of possibilities could that be it it could be unfortunately if we we don't get that because if if you look at verse 24 and 25 uh, just read these slowly now with me 24 and we're in chapter 8 for those listening Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things that Peter said would happen to him, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me, exclamation. Pray to the Lord for me, please, he's, he's saying to Peter, that these terrible things won't happen to me. Now, all of a sudden, look, we switched 25. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. There's a gap there to me. <laughs> what happened <laughs> after Simon says to him, pray for me, we don't get anything else from Luke. Yeah, so we we don't get anything. So we have to we have to. You know, this is conjecture. We have to okay think about okay what could have happened there because all of a sudden you're back to they're testifying and preaching the word and then they uh, return to Jerusalem. So we don't know. But go ahead, John. Yeah. So th this is the reason why I don't believe that story should be read that way. Um, you know, for the sake of context and hermeneutics and all and all that fun stuff is when we look at the entirety of the book of Acts, we'll just keep it in that. They are watching the living God in the flesh ascend on a cloud to heaven. Angels in gleaming robes say, go to this place and wait for the Holy Spirit for him, God, the Holy Spirit, to fall on you. And then, boom, an explosion takes place, right? So we know that they are not only led by the Holy Spirit, but they are operating fully in the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's why they can heal. And that's why they can lay on hands and give it to other people whose hearts are right before God. So I don't think Peter is operating out of his own spirit right now. And the reason why I believe that is because all scripture is breathed out by God. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, correction, and training in righteousness. So if he it, Jesus, you know, John chapter 1, verse 14, then the word How about became, the verses where Paul says that I'm writing this in my own opinion? Well, well, well that's awesome. That's awesome because he's, he's saying that. But just, but just listen, right? So he, but he's clearly saying that though, right? Which is, the, which is why he did it, I think. So that's my point is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. So if you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're full of the word, and this is going to be what's retold through countless generations for centuries, for thousands of years— God doesn't make mistakes. Everything he does is always correct. He's always righteous. It's part but of the not, But nowhere well, does it say on, this is on. correct. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, right? Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, is Peter is full of this, right? And in that zealousness, right, the same zealousness that Jesus felt with the money changers at the temple, he's like, no, which is a common theme with God. You can't serve both God and money. 
And maybe, just maybe, and again, it's conjecture, Peter had a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit about his cup, the inside of his cup, his heart, because he straight up says you're not right with God. So if I'm, if I'm going gonna, if I'm gonna to play devil's advocate for Simon the sorcerer, maybe you're right. Listen, maybe we'll all get to heaven. Praise God. I hope we all do, right? And when we're there, there's Peter, and he, there's Simon Peter hanging out with Simon the sorcerer. And he's like, this is my best friend in heaven because I prayed for him and our heavenly father is holy and he did answer my prayers. And, the, and he saw that that man was repenting. But for this point of scripture being written for all generations to be able to go and, and reference this is that you can't buy the Holy Spirit. That's what I think this is all about. When you read it in its context, I trust the Holy Spirit with the apostles that this was a lesson, just like Job. Job was blameless in his day and God allowed him to go through all kinds of torment so that the book of Job could be written for the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And the same thing goes for, the, for the, uh, Hosea, the minor prophet. God says, go and marry a prostitute. And he's like, uh, I'm trying to live right by your law and be blameless in your eyes. And this is what you want me to go do. How does that make sense? And that's another reoccurring theme. Peter, the sheet comes down and we'll get to it in the book of Acts later. And it shows all these unclean animals. And God says to him audibly, kill and eat. And then Peter, Lord have mercy. He's like, no. And he disobeys God direct, directly to his face and says, Lord, I've never eaten anything un unclean. So here it is, God, again, telling his people, be obedient and do the things that you don't think are right. Do the things, like, you don't know what my plans are, right? So that's, that's my point. Why, like, yeah, you can, you, can, you can play devil's advocate for Simon the Sorcerer, and, and maybe he'll be in heaven. I hope he's in heaven. He could, you know, again. But the it, point it, is that I trust Peter and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, and you have to trust it to believe this. Uh, you know, otherwise, Judah you know, could be it's right. A, it's a could be that he was innocent, he, you know, and he didn't. Or it could be that Peter knew him. And, and this guy was a magician. Simon is a magician, was a magician. And he was making money off of that. Matter of fact, he was pretty wealthy making money off of that. So he had enough money to pay Peter, or at least he thought he did, to buy the power of the Holy Spirit so he could lay hands on people. Now, name your price. Now, yeah. name your price. So he gives him a, so Peter may have known more about him, which again, you'd have to read into this, and that's what I might be doing, reading into it. That Peter knew this guy saying, okay, you're really not where, you, where we thought. We baptized you and you've accepted the word, but you have not really converted. You want to just pay money to get this so you can lay hands on people and make money off of that too. Potentially. Yeah. Now, let, I can let, read let, it that okay. Way. I, I just because th there was some some gaps in in what you said and the logic that you used there. Okay. First first gap is this. It's the assumption that everything that's written there, that it's saying it's it's good and it's accurate and it's true. Right. They said also said that Paul stood there while Stephen was being stoned. It doesn't say this was good or bad. It just simply says Paul was standing there when Stephen was stoned, and then he went and persecuted the Christians. We could say, well, hey, Paul, he went and persecuted the, script, the Christians, so that was clearly good. Well, we can't make that assumption because, and I, I'm being overly simplistic in it, but just because it records the story of what Peter did does not imply that what Peter did was right. Just because Peter was operating under the Holy Spirit does not mean that what Peter did was right. And, I, and I'll further prove the point because all of us are operating under the Holy Spirit, and how many times do we jack things up? Okay, here, here's further evidence, and we'll go to Galatians, right? In Galatians, uh, Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul's writing here, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But after, when some friends of G James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who were insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, the Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are both Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know a person is made right by God. So we all know the story, right? So here, clearly, Peter operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. So who, he's not, though. He's well, not. But, but, but see, here's the thing. He, he's, he's not listening to it, but he's still full of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is not flippant. Holy Spirit is not like, oh, I'm coming in and then I'm leaving. See, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is giving us guidance and impressions and, and whatever. And, and then it's up to us then to determine what's the proper way. This is after 
Peter was in, you know, in Joppa. Was, this is after he was at Simon the Tanner's house when the when the sheet came down. This is after all of that. Yeah, and, and, and so here he is making mistakes. So so what I'm getting at here is that, and this is this is like how I look at scripture in general. Like I don't go, I don't like to go into it with any preconceived idea of like right and wrong, in the sense of like a story like that. I'm not going to assume that Peter was right. The only person I'm ever going to assume was right in anything was Jesus Christ. When it when it comes down to Jesus, I'm like, okay, whatever he did, 100% absolutely correct. But Peter, he denied Jesus, right? I'm not trying to be critical of Peter. I've denied Jesus in my own life, right? But but the thing of it is, is just because the fact that he was, um, just because the fact that he was doing this certain thing, that he said this thing, I don't know, I've went out on limbs too before, feeling like, like I was being, you know, led by, the Holy Spirit and doing things that um, that I thought were were good and accurate and whatever, only to find out that I missed the whole thing. I I, I missed, uh, you know, uh, not diagnosed, but I kind of like misread the situation. And I'm like, oh, this is going on. And then only to find out other details arise. Like, wow, you know, I really jumped the gun there. So all I'm saying is, all I'm saying, I'm not saying that that Peter wasn't right. What I'm saying is. Peter might not have been, been right. right. Yeah, yeah, but so, so my, my point is this: the Bible is filled with lessons, sure. and that was that was why I was bringing up Hosea. That's why I was bringing up Job, and that's why I was bringing up all those times, right, where God allows something to unfold so that the Holy Spirit can rebuke it and can correct it and train it and in, in training them into doing what is right, which is exactly what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding and acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll make straight your path. So he allowed Job to suffer so that that book could be written. That even if, if you're going to suffer, God is still worthy of our praise. That's my main takeaway from it. And it's subjective. Pick your own from, but, but read, read this. Hold on, yeah. let me finish. Let me finish. All right. Okay. So, and the same thing goes for this with Peter being rebuked by Paul. Because Paul definitely knows the law way better than Peter, so he's got the credentials to do the job. And yet, what do we see? Instead of him operating out of, oh, I'm a Benjamin, oh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a Hebrew's Hebrew, as to the, the, the law of Pharisee, right? What does he do? He says, you're wrong about that. And I'm the one who should be def defending your position, but I'm not. I'm the one who's correcting you through the Holy Spirit. So my point about any of this at all is that I trust Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and the life. If Jesus is the truth and the word is Jesus— then I trust that God put these lessons and blessings inside of the Bible so that we are not confused. He lays it out in such a simple thing that it's easy to understand why Peter would think that. But then you see God come in. Well, and maybe the moral of the story is don't jump to conclusions. Yeah, don't lean on your you own know, I, I mean, I mean, so so here's the thing. And again, and it's like, I feel like uh, you talk about, you know, hermeneutics and, and exegesis is, is two, two sides of the same coin, the, the science and art of studying the Bible, right? And, but but what I'm saying is, is that when we read this, right, and this just goes in, in general, like we, we should read it like an observer, like a scientific observer. Like I'm not going in it to try to, to, to prove a point or to go into it to try to, you know, um, you know, reinforce an idea or a theology that I've, I've heard in the past, but I want to look at this from every possible angle. And I think that's what we generally try to do here in this group. I want to try to look at it from 360 degrees and see maybe there's an, something I can learn from this story from another angle that I was uh, ignoring before because I was only looking at it through one lens, through the lens of Peter's eyes. Like, again, like what would if we looked at it through Philip's eyes? It might have been an entirely different story. Or if we looked at it through the, the eyes of Simon, it might have been an entirely different story. And so that's where I believe good hermeneutics comes in is when we're able to disassociate like a you know, a previous preconceived idea um, from something like this, again, because the common assumption uh, clearly is that Simon was wrong, Peter was right. That's the assumption. I've never heard it preached any way otherwise than that ever. But yet, like, well, it might not be the way it seems there. There might be some other, you know, uh, subtext and there's some other lessons that we can learn if we look at it from a different perspective. Look at it from Simon's perspective. You know, maybe he's, you know. Maybe he's being genuine, but I, I think he's being deceitful. I think that's what the text shows is that the Holy Spirit is prompting Peter to be like, Again, there's no clear evidence of that, though. So hold on, but there is, because you said the scientific method, right? So if you're going to do something simple like who, what, where, when, why, how, right? And if we just take this one paragraph, who, who do we have here? You have Simon the sorcerer, and you have Peter, who is we know is for sure imbued by the Holy Spirit in the, the context, in the timeline, right? What's happening? Someone's trying to buy the Holy Spirit. Why? He wants more power or, or this type of power added to him, 
right? How? Right? With the exchange of money, right? And then what ends up happening here? He says, you cannot buy the Holy Spirit. And it's so absurd that you need to be rebuked harshly, which is not usually encouraged, harsh rebuking in, in Christianity. But in this case, it illustrates the main point. So what's the big idea? What's the main point? Like at Thrive Kids, we teach them, what's the, what's the big idea in the lessons? Sure. Right? The big idea here is you cannot buy God. He will not be paid for. God is free to anyone who truly, not on the outside, but on the inside of who they are in their heart. If you circumcise your heart, God sees that. Other people might not be able to see this. Maybe Peter didn't see that, but I think this is showing with what he's trying to do. Remember, out of the uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So if Simon is speaking about money to buy the Holy Spirit, what does that tell you about the state of his heart, which Peter even says? He says that I know that you have a bitter heart and that you're jealous. And so I, th I think it's pretty clear here. It's to, to, you can look at things in different perspectives, but if you're reading the text plainly and you're asking the simple questions like that, like, how do I understand this? Well, let's use a basic framework. It's obvious. Yeah, I, again, in deference to both of you guys having your own opinions, I was going to say similar to Johnny, so I'm going to agree with him on that part. There's a lesson here, and it starts in verse 20 of chapter 8. May your money be destroyed for thinking you can, you, you can you, my book says, for thinking God's gift can be bought. And that's what Johnny just brought up. That's a lesson. Whether Peter was wrong or whether he overreacted, that's a lesson. We can't, we can't buy, we, can't, we shouldn't count on money. And we were talking about that before with Stephen, that, you know, things made by man's hand, not good. Things made by God's hand, good. So that's one. And if you go on... Um, you can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Now, how did Peter know that? Don't know that part, but I do know that first line is a sentence. Number, uh, verse 22, though, is important. Mine reads this, and, and Johnny brought this up too. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. I don't care what story this is. I don't care where you take that verse, take those words, I should say, or from that verse. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Put them anywhere in the Bible that you want. Anywhere in the Bible that you want, and they still apply. That's my point. I don't care if you're right, Judah, or, or you know, your supposition or Johnny is, does it matter? Take that, that verse that Peter said, and he's right. We need to repent of our wickedness, our bad ways, our sins, whatever you want to call it, and pray. Pray to the Lord. That verse fits anywhere in anybody's life, period. Doesn't matter. And then, you know, whatever else Peter wants to say after that. That's my comment on it. What I'm picking up here is that there's a question of why. Why is Simon asking for this? Is he asking for this because he wants salvation, or is he asking for this because he wants a superpower? Is it genuine? Is the real question? Is yeah. what it comes is, down is to. And, and, and he, and, yeah, yeah, and Judah's right. We we don't we don't know. And honestly, for the record, I hope that he's in heaven. I hope that Simon the sorcerer came to Christ and that he's our brother in Christ. I really hope hope for that. Yeah. Well, see, I, I you know ultimately you know and, and and here's here's the other lesson in this and and kind of what I'm uh, picking at, right. Is, you know, I, I've been in this for, you know, decades and decades, and I've seen so many people blown out of the water by ideology similar to what Peter displayed right here. I mean, I, I've had, there, in fact, there was a, a guy I was like working with that was like new, new believer, similarly in this situation with, with Philip and somebody came in and saw him and just like started hammering these things in his life that were clearly sin and like blew him out of the water. And it's like, hold on, dude. Like, like, yeah, maybe you're right in what you're saying, but the way in which you're doing it is wrong. And, and I mean, as a result, this guy, and I don't think it's as a result, but I mean, the guy, as far as I know, isn't really following God anymore. And it's just like, cause you come in, you, you, you hit him with, you know, a double barrel shotgun, both guns, you know, both barrels blaze him and, and you're hitting him with truth. Right. But it's like, Maybe, maybe there's a better way in which this could be done. Now, again, in here, in this thing, Simon, it's two Simons here, Simon Peter, right? And Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer, he took the high road in the end, and he says, okay, pray for me. You know, pray for me that this doesn't happen to me. You know, which, again, is an act of humility. I think that that in itself is intrinsic of his heart because had his heart really been hard, he would have been like, screw you. Right. You know, I just wanted to buy this, and I'm, I'm out. Like, I feel like he's sincerely asking, is what Peter said accurate? Absolutely, it's accurate. We shouldn't buy the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't try to buy the Holy Spirit. We need to repent. We need to do that. Did Simon, was Simon perfect? No, absolutely not. He was barely a Christian. Was he a Christian? 
Was he going to heaven? Absolutely. Right? Because it said he, he said he already repented. He already gave his life. He was already baptized, right? So he was already like going in the right, the trajectory was going the right way. This is what I'm saying. Like the indicators were that he was going the right way. And any of us, like Johnny included, I mean, again, put yourself in a situation, right? You bring somebody to the church. Hey, I was just tattooing this guy, just gave his heart to Christ. And I'm like, you know what? You're just living in sin, man. And you may be like, oh, 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 hold on. Like, just slow down just a little bit. Like, like if he's like, oh man, you know, I see you, you pray for this person that got healed. I'll give you, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you teach me how to do that. I'm like, yeah, you just die with your money. It's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, be loving, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's if you like, do it without love, then it's, it's right. Like and I think yeah. in that context, right, if, if it was something you brought to church, you'd be like, oh, hold on. Like, like, you know, yeah, maybe he's not got it all figured out, but like he's, he's, he's coming the right direction here. And that was the point that I'm getting at is that Peter parachutes in to a place where Philip is cultivating. So Philip is like working the soil here. And Peter parachutes in and says this. Was it right? I don't know. We might get to heaven and be like, yeah, Peter was absolutely right. I don't know. I'm not trying to make a uh, prove a point. All I'm trying to do is I'm trying to deconstruct a preconceived idea that Peter was 100% right. Maybe he was, but maybe he wasn't. And I think that there's lessons to learn from both sides of this. I think that's a very valuable point to bring up. If we're if we're operating out of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we be, if we're abiding in the true vine, then we'll have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love is the first one named, right? right? And then if you go to, I think it's like 1 Corinthians, like chapter one, verse 13 or whatever, it's like, love is patient, right. love is kind, right? It's quick to forgive. It doesn't keep a record of, so it's like, Clearly, Peter is not showing that fruit of the Spirit in this case, right? right? And Jesus, at multiple places in the Bible, says, if you do anything, do it with love. Yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself, forgive, you know, all, all these kinds of beautiful precepts of Christ-like behavior or biblical behavior. So clearly, that's another, I'd say that's like a, a little uh, hidden nugget of gold right. in, in this text is. <laughs> Show love. <laughs> yeah, is, is honestly, like, that's our job, is if we're going to follow what it says here, is not just to know the scriptures yeah. and, and, and be passionate about it and be zealous for the, the defense of the, of the gospel, but to do it in love, right? right? Because you could very easily shoo somebody away. Now, if God wants to save him, he's going to save that person anyways. Yeah. But but do you want to get to heaven and God be like, by the way, I want to show you this list of people that you <laughs> yeah, scared yeah. off. You pissed off. That yeah. I sent you to go minister the gospel right. to him in love. And then you were you were having a bad day. And that's how you came right. across. You see what I mean? And there's this, there's this mentality, especially with pastors, but not just pastors, Christians in general, of like, I'm going to preach the gospel and I don't care who it offends. Right? And, and, Sounds like how I grew up. Yeah. And it's like, there's this mentality. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like we, we preach the word and if you don't like it, you there's can the door. go to hell. You know, oh my it's gosh, like, never. I mean, I've heard people say it's stuff like awful, that, dude. you know, and, it turns and so, my stomach. so, so the thing of it is, is, is the gospel offensive? Yes, it can be. I'm not called to be offensive though. The gospel can be offensive, but it my is goal cool. is not to be is offensive. Is that how it works, though? Is that why God designed it like that? That if you give this offensive thing lovingly and people are experiencing the love, then they'll see the value and the truth in it? Is if you're not doing things with love, then don't do it at all. So wait, so hold on. So we're, we're calling Simon the Sorcerer potentially a baby Christian. We're call, <laughs> yeah. And we're calling Paul this season Christian. But to be fair, yeah. he's only been following Jesus for a little over three years. <laughs> so, so for all intents and purposes, yeah. Both Michael, Michael and Ben, yeah, the, we, we're, we've all been Christians right. longer than Peter at this point. Right, right. <laughs> Think about how long you've been a Christian. So, oh, so, so you're the one who has the, the quote unquote better theology, if well, you will. But see, but see, it, but here, here's, here's again, the other point in it is that even though we're following Christ and again, for us, many of us for longer than Peter had been at that point in time when he did this, right? It does not mean that we're all infallible. You know, and there's this assumption sometimes that when when the apostles did something or when Paul did something, that what they did was infallible and it wasn't infallible. You know, they were people just like us. They were making mistakes. They were saying dumb things. They were putting their foot in their mouth. Did they have the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, the same way that we do. And did they ignore it sometimes? Yeah, the same way that we ignore him sometimes, you know. So, so it's just the realization of just because he did it, didn't mean that it was right. There was a lot that he did was right. Probably more than what we've done. I mean, obviously he helped launch the early church. I didn't, but, but here's the thing. It's like that, you know, he was a sinner saved by grace as well. And like you said, only a few years into it and they didn't even have the, New the new Testament. They didn't even have the resources that we have to understand scripture. All he had was three years with Jesus, which isn't nothing, <laughs> you know, that was something. But I mean, I'm just saying, it's like, they didn't have all the resources 
but they also had a lifetime of following Jewish law. So it's like there's still this like you, you mentioned turmoil. You know, Peter, he says, sinner saved by grace. We, we, we need to keep in mind, it just struck me as you said that, that anybody that's saved by grace was a sinner. Everybody that has been saved by grace was a sinner. Anyhow, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap things up. Sorry for uh, taking it in a weird yeah, direction well, I'm there. Glad but... I brought up the story of Simon. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought we were just going to go out. I, I still got things all about Paul from two weeks I ago. Really, <laughs> I really rattled Judas Gage. I love, it. I love this podcast. <laughs> if I was tuning in, like, yeah. You know, well, see, see and, but, that's, but that's the beauty of it, right? Is it's like to have a conversation where it's like, you know, and, and with all of us, right? It's like, we don't want to, you don't want to look at it just from the surface, you know? It's like, let's look at it from every angle. And and maybe in the end, like I said, we come to some other conclusion, but I think at the end, it's like, it opens your eyes to see the story from a three-dimensional standpoint rather than just two-dimensional. And I think that a lot of times we look at things two-dimensionally. It's like, we just see it from one side, you know? So it could be a slippery slope. That's that, that's my main concern because it's like maybe. the burning bush. People are like, oh, maybe lightning struck the bush and it was on fire. And so, he, you know, and it was an acacia tree and it was letting out vapors that had, you know, DMT and, you know, hallucinogenic, which is true. Those plants do have it. But it's like, how about it's just God, sure. you know, a messenger from God in the burning bush telling yeah, him no, what that to was, do that, that, that literally true. made Israel a people. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah but, but, but it's it's the truth. There are theologians and scholars well-respected in yeah. academia who propose these ideas because... It is wise to look at things from multiple angles, mm -hmm. but it's also wise to just go by what it says yeah, plainly, absolutely. which yeah. I know you're a big proponent of. Yeah. You're like, you're like, listen, we take it as literal as often as we can, right? Except for when it's you know hyperbole or a metaphor or whatever, you know. Yeah. So that's all. Yeah. Got to be careful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But even within that, the story of the tree thing, let's just say that was what happened. He still went in and set the Israelites free. So God was still clearly in it. Now, <laughs> clearly, I don't think that's what happened, yeah. but you know, because I mean, it was talking to him and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean. So yeah, you do have to be careful, but this is where, hey, if you have the, the desire to seek truth, I believe that uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit leads you to it. So with that, let's wrap up. We'll pick back up next week. So thank you guys. Anybody that stuck around for that, man, thank you. We appreciate you and we love you. <laughs> Bye. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast also consider sharing it on social media we can't wait to be back together with you at the thriving in the word podcast